كل العلوم سوى القرآن مشغلة إلا الحديث وإلا الفقه في الدين العلم ما كان فيه قال حدثنا الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So we're continuing on with this series which we're calling Holding on to the Sunnah And we're taking this series about holding on to the Sunnah From the introduction to the amazing book Sunan ibn Majah uh, by Imam Abu Abdullah Muhammad ibn Yazid ibn Majah Al-Qazwini Rahimahullah Ta'ala We came to the hadith of our mother Aisha radiallahu anha أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من أحدث في أمرنا هذا ما ليس منه فهو رد Whoever introduces something into this matter of ours it will be rejected the word rad here means mardud. It will be rejected. In the wording of Muslim, man amila amalan laysa alayhi amruna fahuwa rad. Whoever does an action which is not in accordance with what we have brought, it will be rejected. This hadith. Al-Imam Ibn Majah, he brought this hadith in Babu Ta'zimi hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa taghlid ala man aradah Being harsh against those who oppose the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And if nothing else was revealed about the danger of Adding something into this religion Except this hadith It would be enough This hadith would be enough And you hear the people Wallahi debating and arguing About introducing things into The religion of the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wasallam But wallahi this one hadith is enough To completely close the door to Adding anything into the religion of Islam And if there were no punishment for bid'ah Except that your action was mardud it, it should be enough for a person who is sincere For them to leave it And wallah this shows And Allah knows best A lack of sincerity From the people who do this because wallahi, if this was the, if the only sin or the only punishment that Allah gave you 
for innovating in this religion was that he doesn't accept your deeds, that should be enough of a punishment. But some people, they don't, you know, they don't give care and concern to this. And it doesn't make a difference whether the person invented it, man ahdatha fi amrina hadha, or acted upon it, man amila amalan laysa alayhi amruna. Both of those two are rejected. Regardless of whether the person is the one who invented it or they're following someone else who did so. The topic of bid'ah is a big topic and it's not really our time for, you know, to go into it here in detail. But it is important to note this particular hadith on the topic of honoring and venerating the hadith of the Messenger and being harsh with those people who oppose it. To give some examples of that from the actions of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, how they opposed the people who opposed the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-Imam Ibn Majah narrates from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal la tamna'u ima'a Allahi an yusallina fil masjid. فقال ابن له إنا لنمنعهن قال فغضب غضبا شديدا وقال أحدثك عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وتقول إنا لنمنعهن He said that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said do not stop the female slaves of Allah from praying in the masjid one of his children said, we are certainly going to stop them. And one of the children of Abdullah ibn Umar, uh, the hadith is narrated from, his, from Salim, from his son Salim, but it doesn't mention which of the children here. He said, wallahi, we will certainly stop them. We're going to stop those women from praying in the masjid. So Ibn Umar became furiously angry and he said, I narrate a hadith to you from the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and then you say to me that we're going to stop them. That's how the Sahaba used to think. Even more than this is a hadith, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mughaffal that he was sitting with a cousin of his. And this uh, cousin, فَخَذَثَ And he was shooting the, the um, what do you call it, catapult. He was shooting the catapult, you know when you have the, between the twigs and you, you have a stone or something in it. And he was, he was shooting it. فَنَهَاهُ وَقَالَ إِنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ نَهَا عَنْهَا He stopped his cousin. He said to his cousin, I'm not going to let you do this. Don't do this. Because the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم prohibited it. And he said, إِنَّهَا لَا تَصِيدُ سَيْدًا It doesn't kill, you can't, with the, with the stone from the catapult, you can't uh, kill your, um, you can't hunt with it. 
You don't, you know, you're not able to wound and kill your enemy with it. But what happens is it breaks your tooth or it breaks a person's tooth and it puts out somebody's eye. And the Prophet ﷺ didn't allow the use of this, this uh, as a weapon, firing small stones at people. Because what does the small stone do? It breaks a person's tooth, it puts out the eye, but it doesn't, you don't hunt an animal with it. You can't hunt an animal with it, and you can't, uh, you can't hunt an animal with it, and you can't fight your enemy with it. His cousin picked up the catapult, start firing it again. He said, I've just told you that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, prohibited it. Then you are going to start again doing it again after that. He said, I'm never going to speak to you again. SubhanAllah, in our time now, what do we see? We see perhaps in a, in, a t- in a single sitting, the people go against not one hadith, ten hadith. When you tell them the hadith, you, don't, you can't even repeat the words that get said to you. This cousin, what he did, he just picked the catapult and fired it one more time. He heard the hadith and he picked the catapult. I told you a hadith. You picked it up, you did it again, I'm never going to speak to you again. And you know how, how high the Sahaba used to consider keeping ties with your relatives. Silatul Rahim. He said, I'm never going to speak to you again. I told you a hadith. And then after I told you that hadith, you decided to do the thing again, I'm never going to speak to you again. This brings us a question, what's the ruling on never speaking to somebody again like that? So the reality is that there are two types of hajar, of abandoning someone, boycotting someone. There is al-hajar fillahi azza wa jal. And there is hajar for the matters of the dunya. As for the hajar that is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the hajar that is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this doesn't have a limit to it, but there is a condition. It doesn't have a time limit, but it has a condition. So if there's no time limit, there is no time limit. Three days, ten days, one year, ten years, the rest of your life. But there is a condition. The condition is you have to believe that cutting off from that person is going to bring them back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you have to believe and you have to be sure that what you're doing is for Allah, not for the sake of yourself or your reputation or your, uh, you know, feelings or whatever. Because what we see with a lot of people is sometimes people do this, but it's not for Allah. They say, look, this is hajar. Fillah. This is... I'm just, I'm, I'm doing this for Allah. 
And sometimes what we see is that the person does it for Allah, but it doesn't make any difference. I can think of so many people right now, that if I went to that person and said to him, لا أكلمك أبدا, he will say, Alhamdulillah. Praise be to Allah, who got you away from me and me away from you. You keep telling me about this thing all the time. Hadith, do this, do this, do this. You keep whispering in my ear. Now actually, to be honest, I'm happy you don't speak to me again. Some people, not so bad, but they will just do the same for you. Say, fine, you're not going to speak to me? I'm not going to speak to you. That's not what is meant here. What is meant here is what is for Allah Azza wa And it makes a difference. It actually makes the person change. The person actually says, Subhanallah, for this person to say that to me, I must have done something really bad. We move on to the next chapter We're not going to take all of the ahadith We're just going to take some of them There are many many examples by the way Of the, the sahaba doing this Many examples There's a very famous example Happened with Abdullah ibn Umar When some of the people said to him He brought him a hadith And he said to him that Your father didn't take this opinion and he brought, Ibn Umar gave a hadith and he said that was not Umar's opinion. Your father, he didn't, he didn't hold that opinion. And he became, he became furious with them. He said, I say to you, the Messenger of Allah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and you say to me, Abu Bakr said and Umar said. That's how the Sahaba understood it. These days you bring someone an ayah, he says, my Shaykh said. You bring them a hadith. Scholars differ about it We're not disrespecting the ikhtilaf We're not disrespecting the, the, the differences between people But what we're saying is There used to be a people that Allah chose them And those people, they used to really they used to, For them, the sunnah was worth something The sunnah was worth something to them That they, if they heard a hadith And you have... Examples you can't imagine. The example of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud when he was outside the gathering was not inside the masjid of the Prophet. The Prophet was inside the masjid and he heard the Prophet say to the person in the masjid, sit down. Outside in the marketplace, he sat down. In his place, just sat down. He said, I just heard the voice say, sit down. I sat down like that. He didn't ask, okay, did the ulama tell me to sit down here? Is that what Abu Bakr's opinion was to sit down now? Was that Umar's opinion? What about if those two differed about? They just did what they were told. 
and they hold the hadith at that level and that degree of respect and honor that if the hadith came to them, they didn't take the opinion of anyone. And that was how the imams of Islam used to be. Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi'i, Ahmed, Rahimahumullah. And all those before them and after them, that's how these people were. فَخَلَفَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ But a people came after them and they changed what the Prophet ﷺ brought. And they brought ta'assub, they brought partisanship and they started to argue with one another and they made yani, their banner ikhtilaf. And they made it that everything is about the difference of opinion and they left the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ and they didn't care about it anymore. And so, you know, a person needs to... It's not about the fact that you, you don't look at the fiqh of the hadith. Of course. رُبَّ حَامِلِ فِقْهٍ غَيْرُ Maybe somebody will bring fiqh to someone who The person who's bringing the hadith Will not know as much as the person who's been given to That's true, right? It's not, we're not saying that you don't have a fiqh of the hadith You don't understand the hadith you just, If you hear it But we're saying that where is the priority That people don't have the priority anymore Now the priority is just find me a fatwa That will get me out of this mess that I'm in and that's it. And how many times we hear a hadith, a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ, we don't act upon it. We hear ayat of the Qur'an, we don't act upon it. We know something was said, we don't follow it. And this is something you can see, and the examples are, it's more famous, you don't need to give it, you know, you don't need to give an example for it. The next chapter that Imam Ibn Majah he gave he brought was Babu Tawakki fil Hadithi an Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The chapter of here perhaps we can say caution. And being careful and cautious and worried and protective over the hadith of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I'm gonna give you the hadith of Anas radiallahu an. Imam ibn Majah, he mentioned the hadith of Anas ibn Malik. إِذَا حَدَّثَ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم حَدِيثًا فَفَرَغَ مِنْهُ قَالْ أَوْ كَمَا قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم Anas, he said, when he would narrate a hadith, when he finished the hadith, he would say, or as the messenger said. Meaning that he was so scared that he would make a mistake. He was so scared that one word might be out of place that every time he finished a hadith, he would say, As he said, maybe it was like that. And that's similar to what is narrated from Ibn Mas'ud. That he would say, and he, he would have tears in his eyes. And he would say, so maybe he said a little bit less or a little bit more or something similar or something that resembles it. Because they were so scared that they would say something, they would even add a word. And the reason I wanted to bring this hadith to you, and we can also bring it when we talk about the hadith which is going to come, 
من كذب علي متعمدا فليتبوى مقعده من النار How many people nowadays we live in, in the world of social media People want to share good but wallah people share things they don't know if it's correct or not They don't know if the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said it or not They're not sure They're not sure if they said it right or if they wrote it right but they post it and they send it out to people but the etiquette is that if you remember a hadith from memory and you have a doubt about whether you narrated it correctly then you say aw kama qal or as he said you say or as he said also aw kama qal could also be used if someone narrates by meaning it could be used if somebody narrates by meaning narrators narrate by meaning sometimes sometimes they don't narrate the exact words especially later on in the later generations so they might use this as an indication that they are narrating by meaning i'm going to bring you the hadith of عبد الرحمن بن ابي ليلى رحمه الله تعالى قال قلنا لزيد بن ارقم رضي الله عنه حدثنا عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال كبرنا ونسينا والحديث عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم شديد he said that we used to say to Zayd ibn Arqam Sahabi radiallahu We used to say to Zayd ibn Arqam Give us a hadith from the Prophet Then tell us something You you were his companion, you were with him tell, tell us something he said He used to say We have become old and we have forgotten And narrating things from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu alayhi wasallam is severe It's not an easy thing and again in this a lot of times what we see people doing when it comes to this is people narrate things that are not even a hadith. And people will say, you, you know, because people sometimes come and tell me, they say to me something and they say to me, yeah, because they're of the hadith, you know, there's a hadith and they'll quote an ayah, for example. Or they'll quote a hadith, there's no hadith for this. Just somebody told them it's a hadith and somebody else told them it's a hadith and someone else told them it's a hadith. A hadith la asla laha. There's no basis for that for it at all, no foundation for it at all. Just somebody saying, yeah, there's a hadith because I know there's a hadith, it says like this. There's a hadith about this. Look at Zayd ibn Arqam. Kabirna wa nasina wal hadith an Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam shadeed. Hadith from the Prophet is difficult. It's severe. And there are some others from the companions who also they didn't narrate anything from the Prophet towards the end of their life. 
As-Sa'ib ibn Yazid narrates that he accompanied Sa'id ibn Malik radiyallahu an min al-Madina ila Makkah فَمَا سَمِعْتُهُ يُحَدِّثُ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بِحَادِيثٍ وَاحِدٍ He said, I went all the way from Medina to Mecca and I never heard him narrate a single hadith. Because he was so scared that he would make a mistake or he would transmit something. So why were they scared? They were scared because of a hadith and this hadith Ibn Majah, he brings this hadith. He brings it from the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. But in reality, this hadith is narrated by somewhere in the region of more than 70 of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ narrated this hadith. The hadith is mutawatir. It's narrated by so many people that there is no doubt about its authenticity. And the hadith is... قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من كذب علي متعمدا فليتبوأ مقعده من النار Whoever lies about me deliberately let him take his seat in hell This hadith is from the ahadith that and Imam Ibn Majah he brought it in the chapter of Babu At-Taghlid في تعمد الكذب he said the chapter of the harshness and the harsh, the severity of deliberately lying about the Prophet And we mentioned this earlier, this hadith, because this hadith tells us that it is a major sin to say something about the Prophet وسلم, that he didn't say, it's a major sin. And particularly when it is deliberate. And the word, man kathaba alayya, whoever lies against me, there is no here, there is no opposite of that. There is no such thing as lying for him. Like some of the Mubtadi'a, they said, they said, man, they said, نحن لا نكذب عليه نكذب له They said, we don't lie against him, we lie for him. We lie to help him. There is no lying to help him. All of the lying about the Prophet ﷺ is كذب على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. Let him take his seat in the fire. More than that, uh, there is another hadith. Al-Imam ibn Majah, he brought it in the next chapter. Babu man haddatha an Rasulillah صلى الله عليه وسلم hadithan wa huwa yura annahu kathib. The chapter of the one who narrates a hadith from the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم while he sees that it's not or while it appears that it's not true. And he brought the hadith of Ali no, Abi Talib radiyallahu an Anin Nabi صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه قال من حدث عني حديثا وهو يرى أنه كذب 
Both are narrated. Whoever narrates a hadith from me, believing, yani yura here it means ya'taqid, or yara, either it means yara, which means ya'taqid, or yura, which means yudhan. So yudhannu, yani he either he's got a feeling, he's got a, you know, in his estimation, he believes that it's, it's uh, not correct what he's narrating. Or, he, he believes, he's, got, he's, he's quite sure that what he's narrating is not correct. Then he's one of the two liars or he's one of the liars. The hadith narrated both ways. The way that Imam ibn Majah narrates it is kathibain, the two liars. So if there's the two liars, who is the first liar? If he's one of the two liars, who is the first liar? No, it's good. It's a good try, but it's not the one they mention usually. The one who invented it, the one who invented it the first time. So this person is not inventing it now. This person is just passing on the hadith. He heard a hadith and he's passing it on. He's, he heard the hadith and he's just passing the hadith on. While he believes that it's not correct. Then he's one of the two liars, meaning he shares with the, the sin with the one who, who made it up in the first place. As we said, the hadith is narrated, kathibain, and it's also narrated, kathibin, and it's narrated, yara wa yura, but the meaning is not very far, and not far away. What we take from this, to be honest, is that it's not just the one who invented or made up the hadith that is sinful. It's also the person who shares it. And that's why these days I do not advise anybody, which is very common, that people send you messages with hadith, with things in, and you forward it to all your contacts. You just forward it like that. But in reality, you don't know if that hadith is authentic or not. You don't know if it's a lie or not. You don't know that you're not sharing in the sin by sharing that hadith with someone else. So it's very important that you check and you make sure before you send something. Allahumma, unless you're con very confident in the source. If you have a very reliable source who sent it to you and you have a, you know, like a confidence in them, you can forward it. But generally getting messages from someone, oh, look, it's amazing. Look at this, what this hadith says. And everybody has this thing about tatabbu' al-gharaib. They look for weird and strange hadith, you know, that nobody heard of before and send it to people. Look, if I put this on my Facebook or Instagram, nobody's gonna, you know, nobody heard this hadith before. There's a reason nobody heard this hadith before because hadith is fabricated, somebody made it up. This is what they call tatabbu' al-gharaib. Looking for strange, gharib hadith. Looking for strange chains of narration nobody brought before. Looking, looking for something unique. You know, I want something which is just for me. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, those ahadith are not authentic. 
Even worse than that, or even more problematic than that, you have what the ulama of hadith, they call al-mushtahir ala al-alsina. The ahadith which are famous on the tongue. Some are authentic, but some are not, not authentic. People mention hadith, you will swear it's a hadith. If you hear it, you're going to say it's a hadith. And people have a hadith, many things they mention. Seek knowledge even if it is to China. Ah, people mention hadith, hadith, hadith. Until it became so famous, if you tell someone it's not a hadith, they will become very upset with you. So it's important that a person, and he should be careful about the ahadith which are mushtahira ala al-sina, that the people mention them a lot. Some of them are authentic. From the ahadith that are mushtahira, is the hadith man kathaba alayya muta'amidan falayatabawa'a maqa'adahu minan nar. That hadith is famous, right? Whoever lies about me deliberately, let him take his seat in hell. That's a famous hadith, but that's authentic. But there are other famous hadith that people mention every time, even on the minbar you hear the imam mention it. The hadith doesn't sometimes even have any basis for it. Rather, some of them might take the statement of someone from the non-Muslims and put it as a hadith. All sorts of things you see these days. So just be careful when you transmit a hadith that you really are careful, not just that you said it correctly, that you transmit it correctly, but also even that you're careful that you you uh, check the authenticity and you check the source before you send it out. And that's why people often say, can we use your video? You know, can I use your video and cut up your video and put it? I say, I don't mind what you, you know, the video is for a lie and if you want to use it for something. But if you see there's a mistake in the hadith, because everybody has slip of, slips of the tongue, I don't allow you to take the mistake. Even if you love the way it was said, even if it would look so nice in your video, even if it would just bring so many people to your channel, if you see it's a mistake, don't do it. If you see that it's authentic and you can use it, use it. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. But don't take something that is wrong from someone's video and then share it with people. Because everybody makes mistakes. And this is interesting because this brings us interestingly to the topic of the madhab. You know, the same thing can be said. The imam can make a mistake. When the imam makes a mistake, what happens? He gets a reward. Tayyib, when you follow his mistake, what do you get? La shay. Nothing. Maybe sin. So distinguish between those two things. Say, yeah, but the imam, you know, when the mujtahid makes an effort and he makes a mistake, he gets one reward. Yeah, he gets one reward. But you don't get one reward for following it. He gets one reward for trying his best and making a mistake. You get nothing. So this idea people have that, or oh, you know, it doesn't matter if you made a mistake, just put it there, transmit, copy it, send it, pass it, follow it. No, if somebody made a mistake, your allegiance is to the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, not to a teacher, not to a sheikh, not to imam, not to a da'iya, talib, ilmu, not to anything else. That's where your allegiance is to. So if you see that something is a mistake and you're sure about it, like Imam al-Shafi'i said, it's not permissible for you to leave the statement of the Prophet ﷺ for anyone, whoever they are. 
The next hadith Al-Imam Ibn Majah brought And there's so many And we're not going to mention it again We're just going to take a few From each section He brought the chapter Babu Tiba'i Sunnati Al-Khulafai Al-Rashidin Al-Mahdiyin He brought the chapter Of following the Sunnah Of the Khulafa Al-Rashidin Al-Mahdiyin They are Abu Bakr And Umar And Uthman And Ali Radiallahu Anhum This hadith he brought is the famous hadith of Al-Irbad ibn Sariyah radiyallahu an that he said qama fina rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that yawm fawa'adhana maw'idatan baligha wajilat minha al-qulub wa dharafat minha al-'uyun faqila ya rasulullah وَعَظْتَنَا مَوْعِظَةً مَوْعِظَةً مُوَدِّعٍ فَعَهَدْ إِلَيْنَا بِعَهْدٍ فَقَالْ عَلَيْكُمْ بِتَقْوَى اللَّهِ وَالسَّمْعِ وَالطَّاعَةِ وَإِنْ عَبْدًا حَبَشِيَّةِ وَسَتَرَوْنَ مِنْ بَعْدِ اخْتِلَافًا شَدِيدًا فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِيِينَ عَضُّوا عَلَيْهَا بِالنَّوَاجِذِ وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَالْأُمُورَ الْمُحْتَثَاتِ فَإِنَّ كُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ طَلَالَةٍ He said the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam stood up among us one day and he gave us an admonition that was baligha. It was very powerful in warning us and making us scared. He gave us a sermon that was powerful. He said our hearts trembled because of it and our eyes shed tears because of it. And it was said, O Messenger of Allah, you have given us a sermon like someone who is going to say goodbye. Like someone who's going to leave. It seems like you're going to, you're going to leave us. You've given us a sermon that it doesn't, like this is as though, as though you, you've given us a farewell sermon. So give us an ahd. Give us an ahd. An ahd is a, a covenant. And it's something we can, we can promise to you that we're going to stick to. Give us something that we can hold on to, that this is our, you know, this is our promise between you and this is our agreement between, between us, something that we can hold on to. He said, you must hold to having taqwa of Allah. You must take to having the taqwa of Allah. What's the taqwa of Allah? Taqwa of Allah is to put between you and the punishment of Allah and his curse and his anger and the hellfire, a barrier. By doing what Allah commanded you to do and by keeping away from what Allah commanded you to keep away from. So he said, I command you for taqwa. And taqwa, remember, is the most commonly repeated advice. You know, in the Quran and the Sunnah, the advice that comes the most again and again and again, anittaqullah, have taqwa of Allah. 
Taqwa of Allah, as we said, it means to put a barrier between you and between Allah's punishment and His anger and His curse and the hellfire. By doing what Allah told you to do and keeping away from what Allah told you to keep away from. Everything you do that is commanded is going to get you a barrier between you and Allah's punishment. And everything you leave that is prohibited is going to get you a barrier between you and Allah's punishment. He then said, and I, and after you, you must hold to having the patience, you must have the taqwa of Allah, you must have a sam'a wa ta'a. You must hear and obey. in abdan habashiyya. Even if it is an Abyssinian slave that is appointed over you. This is also from the advice that the Prophet ﷺ left that is very much repeated again and again in the Sunnah. And that is the advice of obedience to those who are in authority over you. And that is also mentioned in the Quran. Ya ladina amanu, Allah wa rasul wa ulil amri minkum. O you who believe, obey Allah and obey the messenger and those in authority over you. The reason why in the ayah the word obey is repeated twice. It's repeated once for Allah and once for the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but it's not repeated for the leader. Why? Does anyone know? Why is the word obey? Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu ati'u Allah wa ati'u rasul wa ulil amri minkum. Why did not why did Allah not say wa ati'u ulil amri minkum? Obey Allah, obey the messenger and those in authority over you. Why did Allah not say obey Allah and obey the messenger and obey those in authority over you? That's the meaning, but why is the word obey not mentioned for the third group? You don't obey them in everything. That's why. Because obedience to Allah and his messenger is absolute and there is never any exception. There is never a day or a minute or an hour or a second or a mas'ala of any kind where you don't follow. You obey in everything. As for human beings of any kind, whether wali al-amr or your parents or the ulama or whoever it is, anyone who has control over you, your obedience to them is in light of obedience to Allah and His Messenger wasallam. So while they command you with that which does not go against Allah and His Messenger, you obey them. But if they command you to do something which goes against Allah and his messenger, then this is where you don't obey them. But you don't obey them, how? Respectfully and without causing a drama, yeah? Without, you know, your parents tell you to do something wrong, you don't scream, you don't shout. The ruler tells you to do something wrong, you don't climb on the mimbar and give a khutbah against him and tell him that this and that and the other. Just don't do it. Because the effects of doing it is worse than what you bring. You, you don't correct anything. You actually bring a worse effect than what you're trying to fix in the first place. The Prophet gave such an example here. He said, even if it's an Abyssinian slave. And this is the evidence that obedience to the ruler is not limited to Quraysh. As some of the people said. They limited it. They said if the Amir is Qurashi, then there is Sam and Ta'a. If he's not Qurashi, then there is no Sam and no Ta'a. Because the Prophet said, Al Khilafatu Quraysh. He said that the rulership 
the caliphate is going to belong to Quraysh. So some people, they said, yeah, okay, so if the Amir is not Qurayshi, we're not going to listen. But the Prophet said here, he said, وَإِنْ عَبْدًا حَبَشِيًّا If it's an Abyssinian slave, he's not Qurayshi, he's Abyssinian, from Abyssinia, and he's a slave, and he's not a free person. It's the reason why he gave the example of Abyssinian slave. This is the most profound example of the least likely person that you will obey. And he may be Qurashi, not Qurashi, you'll still obey. But free, you know, free person, you'll still obey. Abyssinian, yeah, you'll still obey. But as Abyssinian slave, this is the least likely you're going to obey. For those people he was talking to. So he's giving an example here. This is a kind of a style in Balagha. It's a kind of a way of speaking that you give the most remote example to cover everything else. So everything else is min babi awla. And here it doesn't matter whether the person is the khalifa or the amir or the king or the governor or the whatever it is. If that person has authority over you, then this is what Allah Azza wa commanded you. Why did the Prophet mention it here? Because of what Allah revealed to him that was going to happen. Of all of the you know, problems that were going to happen, rebellions that were going to happen, evil that was going to happen, pass the message on. And that's why Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said, there is almost no group ever rebelled against those in authority over them except that they cause more corruption than they fixed. That's the reality. It doesn't matter, like people want to bring something here or there, but reality is history is your biggest evidence in this. After the hadith and the ayat, just look at the history. You will not find, like Sheikh Islam Taymiyyah, he said, there is almost, he said, la yakad. There is almost no group ever that broke this rule except they brought worse upon themselves and upon the Muslims than the, what they were trying to fix. That's the sunnah of Allah. You will not see, you will not see any change. You're not going to find any change to the sunnah of Allah. If a person goes against this, they're going to find for themselves the same thing that their people before them found and the people before them found. That it just brings corruption. Whether you're right or wrong, whether you have a justification or not, you're mazloom or you're not mazloom, but the reality is the natija, the conclusion from the, the result out of the action will be that you're going to cause more of a problem than what you're trying to fix. Then he said, he said, You will see after me a great deal of differing, or in here, ikhtilafan shadidan. You're going to see so much differing. Strong differing. Wallah, this hadith, I'll be honest with you. This hadith changed my life, to be honest with you. Because when I first saw this hadith, I was a new Muslim. And I saw all the ikhtilaf between the Muslims and the tawa'if and the firaq, the sects and the groups. And I was so confused. And you know, England is England, right? You have everybody, everyone. Every group, jama'a, hizb, firqa, ta'ifa, you name it. Name without name, they came, come, 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 come. New Muslim, come sit with us. 
We're going to tell you about our religion now. We're going to tell you. And not just that, even the good brothers. You start making wudu, you wash your hands and brother, Akhi, 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 wallah, you did it wrong. You need to wash your mouth and hands with one hand. Okay, one hand. Okay, Akhi, Akhi, someone else, you did it wrong. You need to use two hands. Okay, no problem. Two hands. Akhi, no, no, you did it wrong. Your mouth separate and your nose separate. Okay, no problem. No, no, Akhi, he, wallah, am I going to pray today or not? What is this? Like, you, I'm so confused. And everyone is saying the other one is wrong. And everybody's confusing me as ikhtilaf, ikhtilaf, so much difference of opinion, differences of opinion. Where does it come from? What shall I do? Then I found this hadith. And to be honest, the ikhtilaf in fiqh didn't worry me as much as the ikhtilaf in aqidah. That used to scare me so much. In fiqh, I was not too scared. Okay, you know, mouth, nose, okay, I'll I, I look at which one is correct. Inshallah, I will learn in the future. But what scared me is somebody comes and says, oh, you know what he believes? It's not right. You know him over there is belief? No, no, not good. This one over there? No, no. Don't believe like them. Look, we're going to teach you. You know, and they start to make you doubt the ulama as well. You know, the sheikh, those sheikhs don't, you don't listen to those sheikhs. They, they got a different, this, and so much difference of opinion, you don't even know what you're going to do. You just feel completely lost. Then I found this hadith. And this hadith gave you the answer in one line of the page. You are going to see severe differences after me. Why do we see severe differences? There's a benefit from this particular hadith. Why? What, what's the reason why these differences happen? You can take it from the statement of the Prophet After me Meaning after you lost that one person Who is giving you the answer to everything Differences The differences among the Sahaba were very small Why were they small? Because they still remembered The teaching of the Prophet And they still had it among them And they had Allah blessed them like that The differences among them were very very small in aqidah, in fiqh, in you name it, whatever it was, the difference is very, very small. In aqidah, virtually nothing, very tiny masail that you can't even, you know, very, very small issues. They differed in. Did the Prophet see his Lord or not see his Lord? And he was in a dream or he saw a light. Like they very, very small differences they differed in. In fiqh, compared to what came after, very little. They differed in. But after the further the people went from the sunnah, the more the ikhtilaf came. And that's why Allah never praised ikhtilaf. Yani in terms of ikhtilaf al-ra'i or ikhtilaf al-qawl. He never praised it in the Quran and it was never praised in the sunnah. And that's why you know of hadith that is mushtahir al-alsina. The hadith is famous. That ikhtilaf is a rahmah. Allah placed this ikhtilaf as a rahmah between you. Oh Allah, it's not a rahmah. If it was a rahmah, it would have been given to the sahaba. It wasn't given to them. They tried to get to the sunnah. And what is ikhtilaf? It's not a rahmah. It's a natural thing that happens after the Prophet So what you try to do is hold to the sunnah as much as you can. And you know that, look, there will be some things we're going to differ about. 
Because ultimately we don't have the one person we can go back to and say, O oh, Messenger of Allah, what's the reality of this? What's the truth about it? We don't have it. We don't have the one person that can say to us, this is right, this is wrong. So we're going to have some differences. And the difference is not equal. You don't put all ikhtilaf on one level. Someone says, you and me, we differ. Where is Allah? That's a big thing. Someone says, you and me, we differ. Shall you keep your finger in tashahud pointed or shall you move it? That's a small thing. Difference is not one level. You can't make a difference in that like a difference in that. That's what these people do. They make it all live. Hey, look, I put my hands here. You put your hands here. You believe Allah is one. I believe... Uh, it's not like that. Don't put these all differences on one level like that. Some of these differences are huge. Some of them are very small. But none of them are a rahmah from Allah. But they are a natural occurrence that is from the sunnah of Allah that will happen. That will happen. The only time ikhtilaf could be a rahmah is if it is ikhtilaf tanawur. If it's ikhtilaf which is not uh, contradictory, it's, there's no tabad, there's no contradiction in it. If it's ikhtilaf which is tanawur, like for example, you can do it this way or you can do it that way. It means this or it means this. The rope of Allah is the Quran and the Sunnah and the. Yeah, that's, that's ikhtilaf tanawur. It's not, it doesn't contradict itself. If there's no contradiction, ikhtilaf can be a rahmah. But the ikhtilaf that is contradiction and that is. You know, I believe this and you believe that. No, that's the sunnah of Allah. That's going to happen. But it's not uh, Allah's blessing upon you. Otherwise, we will say our time is very blessed. We will say our time is very blessed and the sahaba, they had very little blessing. Because their time, they had very little ikhtilaf and in our time, we have a lot of disagreement among ourselves. فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي So the first thing is, I got comfort. Why I got comfort? Because I knew that this is something that is going to happen. I'm living in a time we see difference of opinion. And the time is going to come after, and the, Allah knows best, the difference of opinion will be worse. That's what the hadith indicate. And the time after that, the difference of opinion will be worse. And the time after that, worse. That's what it indicates, generally speaking. That the general trend is that each diff, the time goes, as time goes by, the differences of opinion become worse and worse and worse. So what shall you do? فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي You hold to my sunnah. وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِيِّينَ That's how Ibn Majah narrates it like that. In some of them, وَالْمَهْدِيِّينَ مِنْ بَعْدِي Stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided khulafa after me. Stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided khulafa. This is the essence of Islam. You stick to the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and what the Sahaba were upon. Particularly the Khulafa al-Rashidin as a, the first instance, and then after that what the Sahaba agreed upon as a whole, that's the religion of Islam. And that, to be honest, this hadith is what brought me to Da'wah Salafiyyah. Because to be honest, I looked at this hadith and I realized that this had, there is only one way, there is only one manhaj, one methodology that matches this hadith. There is not any other. You can go through the tawa'if, wallah, from A, from, you know, A to Z, or from Alif to, or Hamza to Ya, whatever you want to say, ba, all, Alif, Ba, Ta, Tha, all the way to the end of the alphabet. 
you will not find any group, any group that follows this hadith except one. You cannot, it's not, it doesn't exist. There is no group that follows this hadith except one single group. And I'm not talking about individual organizations, charities or da'wah organizations. I'm talking about a methodology. There's only one methodology. You stick to my sunnah, you stick to the sunnah of the, of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, you follow the sunnah, you follow the sahaba. This is what the Quran tells you to do. If they are guided, or if they believe as you believe they are guided. Whoever opposes the messenger after the guidance became clear to them and they follow a way other than the way of the believers. Allah said about the Sahaba radiallahu anhum wa radu'an Allah, Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said All of them Allah promised paradise. And the many, many ayat that came with their virtues and their commanding us to follow them and take their way and follow their way. So it's not enough to follow the sunnah. This hadith tells you following the sunnah is not enough. The hadith we did last lesson, what does it tell you? The one we finished last lesson. That the Quran is not enough. Following the Quran is not enough. You have to bring the sunnah. And this hadith tells you following the sunnah is not enough. You have to bring the sahaba. Because you will find every Muslim say, I follow the Quran. Sunni, Shi'i, whatever it is. Everything, the Batiniya, everybody. All of them, they say we follow the Quran. Even the most extreme, the Qadiyaniya, the, we're talking about the, all these different groups that are not even from the Tawa'if in the first place, they're not even Muslim groups because they don't even have any share of Islam. They still say we follow the Qur'an. Okay, طيب, Qur'an and Sunnah, okay, now some of them went away. Now some of them went away. Okay, we lost from Qur'an and Sunnah, طيب, we lost a, a few of them. We lost uh, the Shia, generally speaking who don't generally take the sunnah, the khawarij generally don't take much of the sunnah. Some of the mu'tazila also. You, you, lost, you lost quite a group, a group of people. But still, there's a whole lot of you in the room who are not on the same belief. So what's going to separate you? The Quran and the sunnah? No. You following the sahaba or not? The way they understood the Quran and the sunnah. The way they understood the Qur'an and the Sunnah, if you're following the Qur'an and the Sunnah the way they understood it, you're implementing this hadith. And you're implementing the ayat and the many ayat and hadith that came about this. You follow the Qur'an, the Qur'an tells you to follow the Sunnah and the Sahaba. And by Sahaba, I don't mean one Sahabi. Because Abu Huraira can be wrong. Abu Bakr can be wrong. Umar can be wrong. As an individual But what the Sahaba united upon and agreed upon Or that which became well known from them Then this is This is not going to be wrong Because Allah will never gather this ummah upon misguidance So this is what we And this is what this hadith tells us 
take to my sunnah and take to the sunnah of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, the rightly guided Khulafa. You look at the ayah, okay, ask yourself, how did Abu Bakr understand the ayah? How did Umar understand the ayah? How did Uthman understand the ayah? How did Ali understand the ayah? Radiallahu anhum ajma'in. How did the Sahaba generally understand it? Then from there, now you, you have something to follow. More than that, the Prophet sallallahu he emphasized, he said, Bite onto it with your molar teeth, the teeth at the back of your mouth. That's, a, that's an example of holding onto something so tight that you clamped it between your jaw and that your back teeth are holding down onto it. And you're not going to let it go. وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَالْأُمُورَ الْمُحْتَثَاتِ in some of the narrations, And keep away from the newly invented practices. So now the Prophet he gave you an example which is perfect, but he wants to give you even more. So he said, not first of all, you're going to see differences of opinion. Expect it. Number two, stick to my sunnah. Number three, stick to the sunnah of the Khulafa al-Rashidin that which the companions unanimously agreed upon and so on, hold on to that. Number four, keep away from the newly introduced practices. The things which are, in the word, uh, it was done, it was introduced new in a new way. It wasn't done that way before or it wasn't done before. The things which are introduced Newly introduced practices, beliefs, things that were not, they didn't exist in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they didn't exist in the time of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, they came after that. Keep away from these newly introduced matters. فَإِنَّ كُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ طَلَالَةٍ For indeed every innovation is misguidance. Notice the Prophet ﷺ, he said every. And kull is min al-fadl umum, from the general words. He didn't say kulla bid'atin dalala illa kada wa kada, except this and that. Or he didn't say kullu bid'atin dalala except that which is you know, commonly done by the Muslims. He didn't say every innovation is misguidance except this or that. He said every innovation, every innovation is misguidance. All of it. فَإِنَّ كُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ Every innovation is misguidance. In some of the narrations, وَكُلُّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ يعني In other ahadith it's mentioned that some of them, يعني that every uh, misguidance is in the fire. There are many, many wordings that of this hadith and different things. In some of them, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, biha, hold onto it. But this hadith is a very important hadith, to be honest with you. It's very, very important. Because this is what you're living in right now. You see a lot of differences of opinion. And subhanAllah, if you apply this hadith throughout history, of the different sects and how they developed, Wallah, this hadith will be enough for you. You don't need anything else. One hadith. 
Okay, let's take the, the first group to come out. From among the very first groups to come out were the Khawarij. They came out in the time of Ali ibn Abi Talib as a proper group. Bef they were in the time of Uthman, the, the people who killed Uthman, they did have that tendency, but they didn't, it wasn't like a belief, it wasn't an ideology. As an ideology, it came out in the time of Ali ibn Abi Talib. The Khawarij. You're going to see a great deal of differing. Tick. Stick to my sunnah. Tick. Sunnah of the Khulafa al-Rashidin. Okay, what did Ali ibn Abi Talib do? Okay, now we understood what is right, what is wrong. Okay, leave the Khawarij on the side now. This hadith finished the Khawarij. Because you have to stick to the Khulafa al-Rashidin. Ali ibn Abi Talib, he opposed them. And in the end, they killed him. Radiallahu uh, Take any group that came. One after the other, after the other. You ask yourself, where were the Khulafa al-Rashidin? Take the Shia for example. What is their position about Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman? Where is that in relation to this hadith? Any people who have a hatred for Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and the Prophet said, Alaykum bi sunnati wa sunnati al-Khulafa al-Rashidin al-Mahdiin. You have to stick to the Khulafa al-Rashidin. So every group that comes, you will find one by one, you will not just pull it apart. There's either no Qur'an, no Sunnah, or no Khulafa al-Rashidin, or no, not, not, agree, not having that love for the Sahaba and following the Sahaba. And the chapter is going to come and continue. There's many other points. I will just mention one more uh, addition that the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned when he was asked, for a covenant, he said, "Qad taraktukum ala al-bayda, leiluha kanahariha, la yazigu anha baadi illa halik." He said, "I have left you upon a clear." Al-bayda. Sometimes they translate it as a clear path, but what is meant is. That the religion is clear for you. There is no confusion in it. There's not even anything, the ulama, they say the word al-bayla, it means there's nothing that resembles it. There is nothing that resembles the haqq. The haqq is, the truth is the truth. There is nothing even close to it. You can't even accidentally say, oh, I thought that that was the truth. You can't, you can't think it was the truth. There is nothing that resembles it. It's night is like it's day. It doesn't matter if you walk on this path in the night, it's the same. You walk in the day, it's the same. It's crystal clear for you. Nobody deviates from it after me except they will be destroyed. And then he continued with the, with the hadith. We stop there inshallah. We have more, any many, many more uh, hadith to mention. But what I wanted to tell you guys, inshallah, uh, what I wanted to tell you, and I think we have one more lesson after this but to finish the topic of holding on to the sunnah. We have one more lesson after this, inshallah. Because the other chapters about iman and things like that, we do that in a different, a different series, inshallah. Um, but the ones regarding holding on to uh, holding on to the sunnah, we probably have one more lesson. But next week, for the next two or three weeks, there will not be a lesson. 
uh, I'll be away. So I'm not going to be here for next Tuesday or the Tuesday after that or the Tuesday after that, I think. So how to find out? Uh, the Masjid now has a Twitter account, which is twitter.com forward slash Masjid Furqan. Um, so there's two ways. This is for the people here. People here in the Masjid, you can follow the Masjid Twitter and the Masjid Facebook as well. It's not ready, but it's, inshallah, and tomorrow it'll be ready. Uh, you can follow the Masjid Twitter and we update when the classes are going to start again. So we'll send a message saying the start, class is going to start. For the people on YouTube, you have two options. You can also look at the Masjid's Twitter feed to see if there's a class. But easier than that is you can see on the YouTube feed that the YouTube live stream feed will show when there is going to be... Uh, we'll, um, you'll get like a notification that there's going to be a class. Approximately, when is the class going to be... Uh, Inshallah, it's going to be like mid-January, inshallah, we'll be starting again. So we have one more topic to do on this, maybe. If, if Allah makes it easy, we have one more to do. Um, if we decide that we leave it for another time, no problem, inshallah. We covered the main things that I wanted to cover. Just a selection of these ahadith about holding on to the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and how important it is. And inshallah ta'ala, we'll be coming back middle of January, inshallah. Um, the class for Friday is on as normal, Saturday is on as normal this week. Um, this is the, the first class that will not be on next weekend. So this Friday there is a tafsir class, this Saturday there is a kids class. It's the Tuesday class that, that will not be continuing. Uh, any. This is the last one from, from this week, inshallah. What questions did we have? Okay. And she wants to know how to start and how many people are applying. But she like me, you know, how to start. She's a newcomer and her job is hard. Okay, very good. So this is a question regarding a new Muslim who is a recent convert to Islam and would like to know how to get started. So I'm going to give a very brief answer, inshallah. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to direct you towards a resource where you can get a more detailed answer. So there are two options. If the person asking the question is in Dubai right now, then I would direct that person to join the Islamic Information Center program that is taking place for new Muslims in Dubai. Uh, if you search for Islamic Information Center Dubai, they have a program that is dedicated for new Muslims because it requires really you've got to take somebody step by step where to start. It's not, I mean, my intro, how long is my introductory course for new Muslims? It's a few hours, right? It's, I mean, the introductory course is like a few hours long. And the second level is maybe 30, 30 episodes. It's like 15 hours long and so on. So it, there's a lot to do. So I would say instead of taking an answer that's a five-minute answer, go and sign up to your local da'wah center who has a specialist team for new Muslims for Dubai Islamic Information Center. And they will, inshallah, give you that support and they will give you someone who will take you all the way through what you need. I'm still going to answer the question, but I just wanted to give that. If the person is outside of Dubai right now, like in the UK, they can drop me an email, inshallah. 
um, and uh, in Germany. Yes, so if that person, inshallah, can drop me an email, and what we will do is try to find a similar resource for them in terms of where they are right now. We try to find for them a similar resource, like somebody locally or nearby that can actually help them through this process bit by bit. So to do that, I would like them to send me a, an email. Uh, you can put it on there, yeah, because it will just save me getting spammed. If I answer it on the video, a lot too many people will send me emails, but you can put it on the, on the YouTube uh, chat, inshallah. Uh, that's the first thing. Now let me answer the question briefly because the person might not email. I mean, that happens. Sometimes the person says, I'll email Qadr Allah. They're not able to get in touch with you or you don't see their email. So I, that's why I, if I answer the question like that, I will never answer the question and stop. I will actually, okay, now say, where do we start? Knowledge in Islam is divided into two types. Obligatory knowledge and voluntary knowledge. Obligatory knowledge is what sometimes the scholars call situational knowledge, which means what you need for your situation right now. So today, right now, what day is it? Tuesday at any 8, 10 UK time. Okay, right here, right now, what knowledge is it do you need? Because you can't take all knowledge in one go, right? You can't get all the knowledge you need in one go. This is where it helps to have someone to help you out. But let's just try and look at uh, obligatory knowledge. Before we do that, what's the second category? Voluntary knowledge. The knowledge we took today, some of it was really essential and some of it was voluntary. Some of it was extra benefits, extra important things. The knowledge you really needed is you follow the Quran, you follow the Sunnah, you follow what the Sahabas. That was essential knowledge and every Muslim needs that. You have to have it. As for some of the extra benefits and things like that. That was knowledge that is, it, it, it helped you, inshallah, but it's additional to what you needed at this exact moment in time. So what about what you need in this exact moment in time? I would say that what we're going to start with is, start with a very brief introduction to the five pillars of Islam and the six pillars of Iman. And whatever you are worried about personally about your life, like your job that you mentioned. So what we're going to start with, a brief introduction to the five pillars of Islam. Testimony of faith, the prayer, the zakah, fasting in the month of Ramadan and the hajj. And I don't mean like, a, you know, each one days for each one. I just mean, just give yourself an, okay, a bird's eye view. What does it mean to say that there's no God worthy of worship except Allah, Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah. What does it mean? What's the, what does it necessitate? Okay, it necessitates leaving everything that is worship besides Allah and dedicating your worship to Allah alone. It necessitates obedience to the Prophet wasallam, following him in what he commanded, believing what he told you about, only worshipping Allah the way that he showed you. That's just a very, very brief Okay, now I've got, a, I've got a good understanding, just a very brief understanding of what it means to say La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. I bear witness there's no God worthy of worship, but Allah and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. What's the prayer? Briefly speaking. And alhamdulillah, I mean the new Muslim may well understand this. I'm just giving you where to start. What's the prayer? How many times a day do we pray? What are the basic things about the prayer? Prayer times, 
you know, how overview of what the prayer looks like. We're not talking about learning every last word or every last, just an overview. A, you know, getting clean for the prayer, just an idea of it. You have to clean yourself before the prayer and so on. And you go like that. Likewise, the pillars of iman, of faith, to believe in Allah, his angels, his messengers, his books, the last day to believe in the divine decree, the good of it and the bad. Basically, you know, like one paragraph each. What does each one mean? Okay, that could take you like half an hour, 45 minutes. I've got, okay, now I've got a picture of what Islam is. I got a, I've got an idea of what la ilaha illallah means. I know what it means to pray. I know what it means to give zakah, which is like an obligatory charity. I know what it means to fast Ramadan. I know what the Hajj pilgrimage is. I know what it means to believe in Allah, his angels, his books, his messengers. I know what it means to believe in judgment day or the last day. And I know what it, believe, what it means to believe in predestination or qadr. I've got an idea of it. Now we have to choose which one of those things is the most important for us to start with. There's no doubt that the most important is to believe in Allah and have your belief proper. But correcting your belief is not a small thing. It takes a long time. So again, I would say, give yourself a little bit of time on correcting your belief, but we shouldn't be taking weeks and weeks on that because it is a huge topic. I mean, we study the topic of aqidah or belief. We study it for years and years, you know, like, so we're saying, give the new Muslim a nice overview of the most common things that might, they might fall into because we're talking about ilm al-hal now. We're talking about situational knowledge, most commonly. You know, what, what might go against la ilaha illallah that people don't think about? So make clear, you know, the things like, um, as an example, let's give you a couple of examples. Uh, if the person came from Christianity, there are certain habits that Christians might have that they need to know are not transferable into Islam. Like, for example, calling upon uh, saints and holy people and you know, like the wearing the cross and, you know, and so on and so forth. These are things that, yeah, not every, I mean, some Christians will enter Islam knowing this is wrong, but you have to give this information before you teach them how to pray. You have to make sure they understand, for example, that Jesus, peace be upon him, is a messenger and not the son of God. That you can't be teaching them how to wash their hands and you haven't taught them that Isa is not the son of God. That's so important. But you can't teach them everything about belief because at the end of the day, it's not, uh, it's too, there's too much to cover. You need to give them what you think they need right now. For example, if the person didn't come from a very practicing religious background, there are still a lot of things that might, people might do uh, which might go against la ilaha illallah. I'll give you a simple example. Horoscopes, for example. People believing in the stars, believing that the stars... You know that I'm uh, Gemini and the stars are lined this way and so today is going to be a good day for me. This takes you away from Islam. So there, you know, these kind of things that you think are essential. And again, one or two hours of study and the person, inshallah, will have a very good understanding of the very basics of what it means to believe in Allah and making sure that they haven't got any old confusion left from their old religion or lack of religion that has kind of transferred into Islam. Okay, now we're looking at the pillars again and we're saying, what's now most important? Prayer. Because from the first day you become Muslim, you have to pray. 
Okay, so how can you pray? Well, you definitely can't pray perfectly in the first day, but you can still pray. So how are we going to pray? Well, we're going to teach the most basic things. To be honest, when it comes to the prayer, this is the way I teach the prayer for new Muslims. First of all, teach new Muslims how to make wudu. Don't teach any difference of opinion. Don't teach any complicated things. Just teach a new Muslim simple. This is how you make wudu. Copy me. One, two, three, four, five. Don't worry about du'as. Don't worry about what you see, Arabic words and things like that. Yeah, you can teach him bismillah because that's pretty easy to say. But, you know, get your wudu done. Okay. Then I teach them the position of the prayer. The prayer position only. This is how we stand. This is how we bow. This we stand, this is how we prostrate, this is how we sit, this is how we prostrate, and then we stand up and do it all over again. Really simple, I don't give any words, no words, just actions. Because in half a day, we can cover with a new Muslim an overview of Islam, basic belief, getting rid of the old religious belief, and how to, get, how to wash and how to do the actions of the prayer. Whereas if you start teaching them Surah Al-Fatiha, maybe Surah Al-Fatiha will take them maybe a month. In that month, they don't know how to bow, they don't know how to sit. They don't. We just teach you, okay, this is how you stand, this is how you bow, this is stand. Now you prostrate, sit, prostrate again. Okay, that's the prayer. Now, can you copy me? Show me. Yeah, I can copy you. Okay, great. Now we're going to go back into the prayer and we're going to go with the most important things first. What do we teach a new Muslim to say in the prayer? To be honest, it's different if they are Arabic speaking or not Arabic speaking. Because Arabic speaking, we can teach them what the Prophet ﷺ taught in terms of words to say. But for non-Arabic speakers, we say just say the best that you know. If you know, if, if you know Allahu Akbar, that's what you know and you don't know anything else, just in each place in the prayer say that. If you know a little bit, say what little bit you know. For example, someone says, I know Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, but I don't know the next ayah. Okay, just say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, until you, yani, until you finish your, you know, for your prayer. Yani. Someone says, I, I don't know what to say in Ruku'. Okay, what do you know? He says, okay, I know how to say Subhanallah. Okay, so just say Subhanallah. And then slowly we go through and we teach them the missing bits. We fill in the gaps. They learn Fatiha, the opening chapter of the Quran, they learn Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, they learn Sami Allahu Liman Hamida, they learn Rabbana Walakal Hamd, they learn each thing to say in each part of the prayer, slowly, 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 until they can pray properly. And they've learned what breaks the prayer, they've learned how to make wudu, they've learned ghusl, they've learned how to bathe, they've learned you know the most basic things. Now again we go back, we look again. Now what's the most important thing? And the strange thing we see sometimes, wallah, is like when they're teaching new Muslims. They're teaching, for example, a new Muslim about fasting. And Ramadan is nine months away, for example. Or they're teaching them about Hajj, and Hajj just went already. Give them an overview. Yes, there is a thing called Hajj. Everyone goes to Mecca. It lasts a few days. They go from place to place. It's all about worshipping Allah. Okay, that's it. Job done. Now move on. Because it's not the time. This is why the ulama, they call it ilmul hal. What do you need right now in the situation you are in right now? This person didn't learn Fatiha and you're teaching them what to say when they stone the Jamarat? Any, what, what do you say when you're stoning the pillars and they haven't learned Fatiha? 
That's not, tar- that's not what we call tarbiyah. That's not looking at, you're not looking after them then. So you look at what they need. What does that person need? Now in their life, they come to you and say, Wallah, I'm in a relationship. I'm in a haram relationship. Maybe it's a Muslim lady. She became Muslim. Now she has a boyfriend or husband, not a Muslim. Okay, this is now, ilm al-hal, we need to know now what to do. Sister mentioned about her job. Job's not permissible. Okay, but we can't get, you know, it's really important that the person who answers, you can't just give like fatawa like that. You're not giving out sweets to the children. You're giving out the religion of Allah. This is serious now. So we need to understand about the sister, about what's her situation, what job. And obviously not now, but inshallah, by email, what's her job, what situation is she in? If she leaves her job, does she have an alternative? Because you might tell someone, leave your job, and it might end up in a worse situation. I'll tell you a situation happened in Dubai. We had a sister come, she said, my employer doesn't let me wear hijab. She became Muslim. Doesn't allow me. If I wear hijab, they will fire me. What's your instant reaction? Every Muslim is going to say leave. Taib, you know if she leaves, she has to return back to her home country where there's virtually no Muslims in a hostile environment with her non-Muslim parents who don't know that she's reverted. And she's in a very, very serious chance that she will leave Islam. Now what do you say? Now you change, huh? You change because the answer that you gave the first time, you gave it, but you didn't understand the person's situation. So we say, no, you go to your employer, say, I want to wear hijab, please don't do this, it's not right. You go to the court, you complain, you go to the wali al-amr and complain about, but we don't tell you to leave the job because we believe real, really not out of fear, not just I'm scared. I mean, really, there's a real chance that if you left that job and you had to go back home, you might not go back home with your Islam. So the matter is not easy and you have to find out each one. And then again, you go back. And then the person settles. After a few weeks, a few days, they're in a situation where a little bit settled now. They know the most urgent things. Now you can go slowly and teach them. But when you go slowly and teach them, you teach them at their level. You teach them at their level. You don't teach them at a level which is, you know, sometimes we come and we start with, and I do it sometimes, we start with all the Arabic words and Arabic phrases and, you know. Well, sometimes you say, you know, the pillars of Islam, the shahadatayn, and the salah, and the zakah, and siyam, Ramadan, and hajj. The person's looking at you with blank face. What's a shahadatayn? What's hajj? Because you, you have to teach that person, at that person's level. Then you get some people, first day they became Muslim, say, okay, I'm going to explain to you about the shahadatayn. They say, yeah, yeah, I know. You know. And they know everything because they already researched before they became Muslim. But you have to go with the person like that. Look at the knowledge they need today. That's urgent for them right now. What do you need today, now, at this moment in time? And take them. And the most important two things are the right belief to the extent that you have the basic beliefs of a Muslim. You know, you you understand the basic things that make someone a Muslim and the things that stop someone being a Muslim. And then how to pray. And how to pray, obviously, included in that is how to make wudu and how to bathe. Because if you can't bathe and you can't make ablution, then you, you can't pray. And... All of this, we have an online video course for it as well, inshallah, through Islamic Information Center in Dubai. So if the sisters get in touch, inshallah, what I will do is I will, uh, inshallah, I will send her the link for the videos for the new Muslim course. 
Of course, that's after I find out about the situation because it could be that she already knows all of that already and in fact needs level two or level three or whatever it is. And inshallah, they have a, a nice structured program. But that's something I, I wanted to answer the question like that for the many Muslims who watch and they don't know how to deal with it. It's so important. That's why it needs somebody on site, ideally, who really understands what the person needs. Otherwise, if you open even a book for new Muslims, New Muslim Guide, page one, and there's things on page 300 that are, you need it now, but you're going to read page one, page two, page three, page four, page five. It doesn't work like that. You've got to look at what the person needs right now at this moment in time, and inshallah, from there they will, you know, they can develop, inshallah. Does that make sense? Do we have some more questions? Sorry, we're keeping everybody so late today, subhanAllah. Quickly, Abdurrahman. What do we do if the rulers harm our family severely? Do we have our own defend ourselves against the ruler? Mm. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you got the question on the screen, right? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam commanded obedience to those in authority even if they are harming you severely. He said, وَإِن ضَرَبَ ظَهْرَكَ وَأَخَذَ مَالِكَ أَوْ كَمَا قَالَ He said, even if he beats your back and takes your wealth. Uh, however, this situation and what to do in it is, there has to be, there's a fiqh to it, right? So generally, you, uh, your obedience to them, what it means by obeying them, it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to like, give him your back and say, beat me more, you know. But what it means is that you don't rebel against them. Yani you don't, you're not going to gather together your little army and, you know, fight against them and whatever. But you try to minimize the harm, right? You have to minimize the harm however you can. To minimize the harm, you might have to move away. You can minimize the harm by, uh, you know, by, you might manage to minimize the harm in, in, in some way or another in that situation. To make the harm as little as possible But what you're not allowed to do Is you're not allowed to rebel against them Because they oppressed you Or because they are fasiq Or because they are zalim Or because they are you know, evildoers Or oppressive people You're not allowed to do that But you get yourself out of harm's way Get yourself out of harm's way And minimize the harm to yourself Like reduce the harm to yourself As much as you can So if there's a way you could resist Without rebelling against them you know, there's a way you can disappear and, you know, go somewhere else, go to a different land. Especially in these days where there is not one Muslim person who is running the whole countries, you know, just different governors, different areas, different countries. So a person, you know, there, but the issue is not, is not, you're not permitted to rebel against someone because he oppresses you. And that's really where you see a lot of emotional arguments come in. People ignore the hadith and they bring the emotional argument. Allah, this person is so, you know, they took the wealth of the Muslims and they, Tayyib, they took the wealth of the Muslims. But if you look at history and you're hard pressed to find a ruler after the Khulafa al-Rashidin and Muawiyah radiallahu an after them and Umar bin Abdul Aziz, who are you going to find after them who didn't take the wealth of the Muslims? Khalil jiddan, nadir. Oh, they imprisoned the people. Have you, you, you read the stories of Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi and what he did to the people? You'll wish you had a ruler that just imprisons you. <laughs> he would have cut off your head and hung it on the lamppost between Kufa and Basra. 
That's how, you know, that's how the situation was. So ultimately, this is, don't get into emotional arguments. Look at the sunnah, look at the sunnah. What does the sunnah tell you? The sunnah tells you so clearly, very, very clearly what you do. It doesn't tell you that if he comes, you know, to beat you on your back, you should bring out all your wealth in front and, you know, lie down and say, go and have a nice... But at the end of the day, just minimize the harm and do, you know, try to get yourself out of that situation. But what you're not allowed to do is raise an army and rebel against someone because they oppressed you or because they oppressed some Muslims or whatever. Uh, the Prophet mentioned the, the limit that if you see from them, kufran, bawahan, uh, you see from them, or kamaqal, you see from them clear disbelief for which you have an evidence from Allah. Uh, and that's why a lot of people go into the emotional side of things, which is hard. I agree, it's very hard to see, you know, and I believe if you imagine you are living in the time of Hajjaj, it will be very hard for you too, you know, like it will be, these things are hard, it's not easy to have a ruler if he's dhalim, he's hurting you, he's oppressing you, he's causing problems for you, it's not easy, it's not easy. But the hadith don't change because you feel one way or another about it, the ayat don't change. That's why if you stick to the sunnah, that's why look, they came to complain about Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. They, claimed to, they came to the of Islam at the time, Hassan al-Basri and so on. They came to complain, they said, look, give us permission. Let's get rid of this guy, man. This guy is killing, I mean, he was killing scholars. He was not killing regular people. He killed in the rebellion of Ibn al-Ash'ar, a hundred thousand, many of them from the ulama and the qurra. And he slaughtered them, qatl ad, yani. He slaughtered them, yani. They came and they said, let us rebel against Al-Hajjaj. He said, Al-Hajjaj is the punishment of Allah upon you. You'll not be able to remove it with your hands. And he commanded them to hear and obey. And the ulama, the major ulama at that time, they stuck to it after the rebellion of Ibn al-Ash'at, ijma'an. They never differed after that. That after they saw what happened, they said, that's it. We obey. Zalim, fasiq, we obey. إِلَّا أَن تَرَوْ مِنْهُ كُفْرًا بَوَاحًا unless you see absolute disbelief from that person. And that's why some of them rebelled against Al-Hajjaj because they considered him to be a disbeliever. That was, some of them did. But he wasn't a disbeliever, Wallah He was a person who was very oppressive. But if you look at this, you actually realize that it's not emotion. It's not about emotion. It's about following the Quran and the Sunnah. Because this life is temporary, but you're going to have to stand in front of Allah and answer, why did you do that thing that you did? Okay. That's what Allah made easy for us to mention. Allah knows best. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.